Yeah, Vega is, is a huge star. According to my Star Control 2 map, there are no alien life forms there. But you can find a, a Melnorm trading ship there, which is always interesting. I'm cutting deep here, guys. Yeah. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Such Nerds Podcast. I am Jason, and I'm joined by my co-hosts... Dan from Los Angeles. And Peter from Long Island, New York. So just for uh, quick for our listeners, uh, you can always find us on Podbean, as well as Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. We are also probably all over the other automatic podcasting networks that are out there, so... Look for us and you'll find us. Uh, and you can always reach us at www.suchnerds.com. We welcome all fan interactions and uh, look forward to hearing from you. So last week we covered chapters one through five of Foundation and Empire. It's basically the first half of part one. We were introduced to some pivotal characters for this section, uh, primarily Rios, who is the general determined to conquer the foundation in the name of the empire broderick the privy secretary of the emperor cleon ii and we also have some protagonists our lathan devers the traitor and Dusumbar, the progeny of onumbar they are both prisoners of rios and he's trying to pull information from them to support his campaign and of course, we have the progeny of our down-to-the-skin hero from book one, Hober Mallow, who is Forel. And this whole section is basically a big setup for Rios's attack on the Foundation in the name of the Empire. Peter, did you have something you wanted to add there? Yeah. Would you say that Forel is happy about this situation? You know, interestingly, he does not seem very happy. Is he in a room without a roof? I think he's in a room with three other dudes. And a roof. Oh, okay. And so, how many of yes. them are down to the skin? You know, they don't talk about it. It's quite possible that more than one of them are down to the skin. When you're hitting all that vegan tobacco, I know things get There's weird. There's definitely that going on, for sure. Well, it's not vegan. I don't care what they say. <laughs> if he's learned anything from his, his father, then he's probably down to the skin smoking a big old fat vegan cigar somehow they managed to like reestablish that pipeline real fast something about vice and the human condition i guess yeah always always finds a way to the market it does i have a bathtub full of gin by the way guys i'm <laughs> looking forward to breaking into vegan gin <laughs> it's actually carnivorous gin if you can believe it or not this week, we're covering chapter six through 10 of Foundation and Empire, which basically uh, brings us to the end of part one. And we're writing out Rios's attack on the Foundation. Broderick, at the request of the Emperor, travels out to accompany Rios during his attack, which has already begun by the time he arrives. Rios has attempted to extract information from his prisoners, uh, but unsuccessfully. So Broderick takes his own tack and throws them a bunch of Broderick bucks, right, Peter? I think there were space bucks. Space bucks, were. okay. He made it rain on um, Yeah, it wasn't a bag of coins, at least. It was a, a stack of cash. It was tin. It was tin, as I understand it. <laughs> it was printed very, on very tin. Very, flat I mean, tin. That sweet, sweet tin dollars. <laughs> So he throws cash at Devers and extracts uh, what he believes is valuable intelligence on the transmutation of elements that is a secret to the Foundation. This aligns with intelligence that he's already received uh, based on an offer from the Foundation to provide very rare Earth elements to the Empire in exchange for peace. After returning to their, uh, their cell, in a sudden flash of opportunity, Devers and Barr knock out Rios and flee. Because they captured a communication sphere 
containing a message from Broderick to Rios describing an ultimate end, they decide to go to Trantor and try to talk to the Emperor and implicate the betrayal of Broderick and Rios. Their efforts are an abysmal failure, but in their escape from the tragedy, they capture a newspaper, and yes, they still print news on paper 50,000 years in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, the newspaper shows that the emperor has already uh, set out to arrest Broderick and Rios under suspicion of betrayal. In the end, there's a long debate between our boy Forel, the progeny of our down-to-the-skin hero, Hober Mallow, and Dukem Nukem Bar. And they discuss the fact that the fates were baked already, regardless of actions of the foundation, and the Empire has, in effect, fixed itself and pulled itself back out of the Foundation business. So can we first talk about how crummy it is that they killed somebody and got away with murder? I mean, that guy was just doing his job, right? He's kind of being a jerk about it. He did shoot first. You know, he did yeah, shoot he first. first. And they blocked him with the shield. So yeah. it was self-defense. So is this like a Han Greedo scenario? or I think he probably shot them because they were trying to flee, but... Um... You know, they had the shield up, then then they they got him and they left. How did they get him again? With a blaster. With a nuclear blaster. They blasted his torso away, and then his head fell. There's no torso left. It was quite quite graphic. It was like Wile E. Coyote style. style. Like the head, torso goes away, the head's like looking around, and then all of a sudden looks down. And then then everything falls apart. (laughs) Got it. See, that's why when I walk across chasms, I don't look And then they grab the newspaper on the way to the spaceship. During the escape, luckily, I, I mean, I thought the, the funny thing about it is that was put in place during during so much of the chapter was the further description about how old and antiquated the Empire technology is, the Empire ships are, and how top notch the traders, you know, Deaver's uh, ship is basically like light years better than anything. Them, so he can basically when they, when they escape initially. It's no concern for him that this this general has has a ship who can catch him because there's no chance of him catching him. Then he goes to like the epicenter of of sort of empire stronghold and sh- sh- shoots a cop and is basically like, "Yep, we're gonna go. It's not a problem." Just hops in a ship. God, like literally the entire. I mean, however many forty million you know bureaucratic people, they're just like, "Yeah, sorry, nothing we can do." Not possible. Well, I thought this, think- like the Secret Service ships launched after the regular police ships couldn't catch the traitor ship. And I think it's yeah. – yeah, I hear you. It's like they – so what did they just give up? But I think it's meant to illustrate the superiority of the of the foundation technology and they're able to kind of escape into space and do a hyper jump before anybody even catch it, comes close to catching them. That's what I meant. You know, it wasn't like they didn't do anything. It was that they couldn't do anything. You know, it was showing how sort of, you know, hopeless the Empire was. The the Empire, quote unquote, this part of the book where the Empire is going to really stick it to the foundation. And, um, you know, it turns out the part ends where it's clear that the Empire does not have the technology at any point in time to really compete with what the foundation has. You would think their telegraph wires would, like, catch up to these foundation guys. (laughs) It feels like, you know, that like that's the thing that uh, really caught me is that, you know, especially since we've crossed the threshold into like paperless workplaces and paperless, you know, processes for government um, approvals. And I mean, you can do a whole bunch of things digitally now that uh, you always had to show up in person and present a paper, uh, you know, form and, and all this kind of stuff. And they, you know, when they get to Trantor, it's like this little spiel on how Trantor is like, you know, they're, you know, the the masters of doing everything in quadruplicate or something like that. It forms in quadruplicate, I think that's the words they use. Mm. And it's just this whole like manual paper bureaucracy and they have to like grease the palms of like 20 different layers of, of people they can jump through space in hyperdrive, you know, but they can't progress inches or feet in the course of weeks at the, you know, this, the, at the foot of this bureaucracy. So the human element can't get out of its own way. Yeah. Yeah. 
so, so what what I find hilarious, right, is that there's they have printed newspapers, right? Which is okay. I get it. It's a good I, thing. In my yeah. in my mind, does Isomoff think that there's still like traditional printing presses around? He talks about the clicking of the printing of the papers. So the, there's that, right? But then somehow um, Rios has like this 3D, like holographic representation of the universe in radial or something like that. Mm -hmm. like, oh, have you viewed a map in radial before? And he's like just sitting in front of this glowing map. Televisions existed when Isomov wrote this, right? It wasn't even like a they caught like a live newscast that was being broadcast across the universe. It's like now they picked up a printed piece of paper. <laughs> it probably wasn't even done with like a dot matrix printer, right? Like it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it print was still king. I guess that when when this was first published, they <clears throat> this part was they he published part of it as in in 1945, but it, it's still like. Radio and, and print were still king, but you got to imagine if you're writing future science fiction, it's not like television was unheard of. You know, right. you figure you probably, even if you said like, oh, we don't television everywhere today, like you got to, it was pretty, it was understandable pretty quickly that, you know, television was going to be, uh, you know, a leap forward. But I mean, I don't think societally it really took off until, you know, you talk about 1945, you got FDR making radio addresses, you know, that's still the, the, the area of time, but you know, it's not like there's no such thing as television. The guy, right. the guy's a science fiction guy. You'd figure he'd he'd extrapolate a know, little bit, two and two, yeah, yeah, put two and two together. Well, I guess he published it in 1952, so it's like he, he could have edited it a little bit and just you know changed that maybe. But yeah, and then he spent a whole bunch of time in the 80s writing four more novels, right, to accompany the original three. You wonder, like, was it time to maybe go back and make a new edition of the original trilogy that smoothed over some of these, you know, technological so inconsistencies? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, you know what? No, he couldn't because he was too busy rewriting his memoir for the second yeah. and third time. <laughs> So I think what, yeah, that occupied most of his focus upon what, what what's important here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean may, maybe he was just concerned about the size that computers would be and he didn't think that they would be accessible. I mean nuclear power Hold plants on. can be the size of your thumb. But right. you know <laughs> a, uh, a computer is the size of a gymnasium in, in Asimov's world at this point. Running but on he, vacuum tubes. But how could he imagine the shrinking of nuclear power down to you know, the size Some of your pinky watch. now. Yeah, yeah. And around your wrist and around your waist and and not have some, you know, I know Brent talked about it at the finale of, uh, of book one, like not touching on computers and trying to avoid it. But at the same time, you know, the, the harping on the paper processes of Trantor, it's not that, you know, it reflects that maybe he wasn't, trying to avoid it. It's just like he didn't uh, account for. Didn't anticipate it. Yeah, he didn't. He couldn't anticipate and he didn't avoid it. He actually assumed that paper was going to live forever, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, one Processes. of the, uh, like tying that into another sci-fi novel, um, Neuromancer, right? It's about like jacking into the net and seeing these, you know, abstract visual representations of huge amounts of data like in a in a virtual way and it's like pretty you know it talks about like mega corporations and things like that like taking over it's an interesting picture of the world and there's a lot of things like about the internet that are certainly true in the novel but the he didn't anticipate the invention of the cell phone right so it's always there's always these like cutaways where they have to like go find a place to jack in or they have to go find like uh, um, like a pay phone to make a phone call, right? Yeah. He, somehow, wireless, wireless technology doesn't exist at all. Right. He anticipated like the concept of like a global and like lunar internet essentially with like protected data banks and stuff like that. But mm. like the concept of like taking 
a portable phone. Yeah. Making it super portable wasn't something that like he anticipated <laughs> at all. Well, ultimately, I mean, cordless phones, not, it's not you know, like rate and radio frequency. It's not a new invention by any stretch of the imagination, but or radio waves or things like that. You know, it's sometimes yeah. it's just a blind spot. It's not like the guys carrying around like a watch with just like one of those hourglass sand things on it. Like, right. But I mean, totally. like radios existed, right? Like, yeah, you know, exactly. like Niner yeah. Niner, like, yeah, you know, exactly. You know, just didn't exist in uh, you know, TCP IP configuration. It's such a huge plot point at the end, though, because if they don't see that newspaper, you know, I guess maybe they'd find out when they get back to, you know, foundation. But that's all the only reason they know that, uh, you know, that Rio's is, 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 is gone is that it's published in a newspaper that they happened to grab off upon their escape, you'd figure, you know, that, that they would have read it. You know, they, they're, they're sitting around doing nothing but bribing officials day after day after day after day after day. You'd figure they'd probably find some time to read a newspaper during the right. course of the circumstances because it's probably just a lot of sitting around waiting, waiting rooms, waiting for a guy, you know, waiting for a guy to have an appointment so they can go bribe him to try to get a point to see the emperor. Um, I thought it was a little bit of, you know, kind of kind of a ridiculous way to hang the the you know the plot point that yeah. everything sorted itself out. It, it's very neat in how they put it together with regards to how they call back to the the Selden crisis from the first section where uh, Deuce and Barr is kind of talking to Rios about how you know it's going to sort itself out and it ends up doing. But I thought it was uh, it seemed a little bit silly to me that that was how they figured it out. It's pretty anticlimactic, right? It's like there's this big build up of like the, oh there's an invasion coming and there's nobody who can handle it like we don't have the guys that we used to there's no hardened selden these days right mm-hmm. there's there's no there's no uh hober mallow there's no hober mallow there's no like you know master manipulator <coughs> peter we've there's got no we've got forel mm-hmm. yeah we've got forel who just like hangs out yeah know, the fail son and, of hober mallow yeah sm- yeah the the, the <laughs> bastard son of hober <laughs> mallow exactly <laughs> just like chilling with yeah. no pants on, smoking his bag and tobacco, right? With a, with a group of dudes, with a yeah. bunch of dudes, still wildly, very still the wildly yes, wildly right. off balance. So, um, yeah, they actually do mention the word "woman." Wait, what? Right in the first. That's still in the first section, though, right? It's in the uh, or the I'm sorry, the first five chapters, right? When the guy blew his blew a hole in himself touching the nuclear mm-hmm. puncher yeah the reason awesome, they were the in there is because there was a there was a whisper of there was a woman on board and so they all went in to go search out and find the woman on board which they is super creepy woman. now that i know that Isamov <laughs> was a total creep total perv creep. Yeah. yeah there was always latching on girls yeah Clearly, he's probably kept him out of the book, so he doesn't. Their, their plot arcs are probably unsavory, given the given the level of discourse around them. Um, one of the things that I found kind of funny, and I wasn't sure if it was a totally a throwback, but you know, w- when uh, I guess during their uh, the, the middle part of their prison sentence, um, Devers and and Dukem Nukem have uh, bribed one of the sergeants. Uh, to kind of like either, and he's bringing up books and various things. I don't know if that's just for entertainment or actually trying to do like COINTEL or something. Um, but <laughs> apparently bribed him with a nucleic freezer, which um, which apparently you know kind of throws back to where the end of the last book, where you know the the people have gotten used to having these nucleic technology devices and freezers like sweet and ovens and freezers and, and stuff and then basically ironers and washing machines that's how they bribe him with one of the trinkets that that uh i guess devers had had on hand um just in his stash and he gives the guy a freezer and that that gets them sort of that's all yeah. it takes to peel off bill rios's staff is just a nucleic freezer for the old lady lady at home so so i'm kind of wondering like what is the mail chain or the the shipping chain that is willing to take on a durable good shipment <laughs> from the the heart of a battle zone <laughs> back to the home planet of some lowly sergeant 
like what is this supply chain that they have to move these goods around they can't even like keep their 10 ships for the attack up in working order all i know is it's no pod okay yeah (laughs) do they pay in a bag of tin coins like (laughs) you know for the shipping charges like so they could carry that weight too (laughs) they pay them in top foil that's unclear because that part is it's a kind of a I didn't notice that it's a great point it's a glaring plot hole but it's just like oh well thanks for having getting my wife that freezer it's like, you know what it, they must have sent it back on the ship that brought the fresh newspapers yeah. <laughs> can you imagine how out of date that information would be by the time it actually got to its destination <laughs> like it like traveled ten thousand light years over six away. months <laughs> like it, it's a it's a historical document at that point yeah, yeah. exactly it's a historical it's a record. record. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't. I this didn't happened five years ago. <laughs> I didn't realize that, but that's a very must, good point. Everything yeah. must have local printing presses, like whereas, like they have inst- faster than light communication, well, right? But they can send the technologies that has to be existing in order for any of the story right. to work, right? But not everybody has in their living room, right, a hyper relay. And, but do they have trees on Tranter to print newspaper? Sounds like they don't have anything no, in Tranter. They have they have and forty. By Tranter, you mean Terminus, right? Terminus. No, because their newspaper is on Tranter. Oh, Tranter, Tranter. Oh. No, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, Trantor. Did they find the newspaper on Tranter or on Terminus? Trantor. I thought they Trantor. bailed and then found. I don't know. I, I had I had no, read Trantor. it that they they grabbed it. They stopped at the you know clearly on every street corner. There's a newspaper sort of like newspaper stand. And I don't know if you put I don't know if you put any money in to take. <laughs> just like smashed and grabbed it and just. Peace out. Thought Seems it was more their style. Relevant to relevant. To, oh, let me get a, a sandwich and then a newspaper because it's a long journey back to Terminus. <laughs> <laughs> gets at the car. They grab some fish and chips and they're like reading the wrapping. Like, oh, look, like, look at this yeah. grease stain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we're talking about. It seems like a you know it's a little too happenstance that, that you know that it. Uh, I, I have that's a non-serious question. Is it is it Devers like Nevers, or is it? I think is it's, it Dever like Fever. You know, in the uh, audio uh, version that I was listening to, I think it's Devers and mm-hmm. Dukem is how they pronounce it, which got me thinking of. And I, I'm glad you picked up Duke on that, Nukem. Dan Duke Nukem. Yeah, it's an awfully hard C. <laughs> which, Nukem bar. When when, when I was a kid, like we in our house, we used to call him Dukem Nukem, like. You know, we were young kids and we didn't get the pronunciation right, so it was like a household thing. <laughs> yeah, Duke and Nukem. Duke, Duke and Nukem. Nukem. Well, yeah, I I, I would have guessed Doosome, but yeah, it seems. I thought do, that's what we were saying last time, Doosome, right? And then, but yeah, and that's the funny part is kind of if you think back to the first chapter of the of the section where you know he's kind of making those points, he's one hundred percent right with everything he's saying. Yeah, I found the whole thing kind of anticlimactic because of all that, right? It's like everybody's sweating it in the in the conference room at the beginning of the of the you know book. They send out their spy, Devers, and then the problem solves itself. They could have literally done nothing, and the empire would have basically swallowed itself. But I'm sure that has something to do with sort of the next iteration. You know, if you think back to how the last section ended in terms of the different phases of the foundation. One one thing sort of begets another, you know. Yeah. And the pendulum I'm, goes back and forth. I'm, or I'm wondering if it's just supposed to be for like the um, the audience's like world building knowledge. Like, oh, well, what's going on with the old empire? Oh, well, it's just kind of continuously swallowing its own tail. You know, the the big the person with the most ambition automatically becomes emperor, right? Like, mm-hmm. and Rios was an actual threat to the foundation, right? And and mm-hmm. so it's kind of it a lot like to, to, to bet on. But I don't think they could have done nothing that. because, I mean, they talked about the scenarios and the relationship at the end of, like, the strong emperor and the strong general. And if the strong emperor sees the strong general, he's going to take action against the strong general because that's a threat to his throne. And if it's a weak emperor and a strong general, the general will focus his energy inward on the emperor's seat rather than outward on the periphery. And if it's a strong emperor and a weak general, well, he'll just, you know, he's not a threat. And so it's like a natural, you know, equilibrium or homeostasis, right? But 
if the if the foundation had done nothing and they were easily conquered, then Rios would have never reached back for reinforcements. He would have never mm-hmm. instigated the involvement of the emperor's privy. And he would never been reflected as a threat to the empire if he hadn't exposed his ambition and his action at the periphery. So they had mm-hmm. to show some resistance. There had to be, they had to be a formidable adversary to bring Rios up to visibility of the emperor to re- for the emperor to realize he was a threat, right? They needed to have the reputation that they had because it, the issue was that Deuce and Bar, like he knew about the Selden prophecies, right? So that's what really got inside Rios's head, right? He's like, look, whatever you do, it's not going to matter. Like you're either going to be, you know, you're either going to completely dominate and it's not going to matter or something's going to happen that you're not going to anticipate or you're, you're going to be completely ineffective and it doesn't matter. It's going to be something you don't anticipate. They're going to be fine. Right. Right. So it's that it's their reputation of being able to solve these things. Right. So like if the foundation in this particular instance, had just sat it out, that reputation still would have preceded them. Right. It wasn't the, it wasn't like by sending Devers, that was what, you know, really sparked Rios's kind of insecurity. He'd already asked for reinforcements at that point, right? Isn't that why? He asked for reinforcements because Deuce and Barr had indicated that, you know, right. you can't conquer this fate. Fate is on their side kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so maybe that what you're saying is kind of maybe the same thing, but from a different angle. Like they were already set up to be formidable adversaries. They mm-hmm. maybe could have done nothing, and the effect of them being a formidable formidable adversary would have already played its role in the actions of Rios and the actions of Brodig, Brig or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. that's the ultimate question, I guess, with with the concept of you know free will versus larger cycles, but. I mean, it seemed at the end, it's kind of like, well, you know, where does the, you know, I was thinking back with regards to like the Empire Strikes Back in terms of, you know, a, a trilogy arc. And then, you know, that in that in Star Wars, the Empire is clearly stronger than, you know, than the rebels that are fight they're fighting against. So when the Empire Strikes Back, they strike back real hard. And, you know, that phase ends with the Empire sort of in the ascendancy you're kind of thinking a little bit like that's how this is going to go. But literally the whole time the the empire is just showing itself to be more and more decayed, more and more ineffectual. And then they, by the time that this phase, even the first phase of the book is, is, is over they're way b- right back down where they, on the mat where they were before. Um, and it seems clear that, you know, the, 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 what I was picking up was just that, that there's just there's no way back for them, and I, I guess Selden kind of indicated that initially, but it seems clearer and clearer. Even you know whether it's an illustrative example or not, but you know they just don't have the ambition, they don't have the wherewithal, and there's just this. All they can do is manage the decline because they're just fighting over the resources and the power struggles, and you know they don't have the the wherewithal to actually arrest the decline of what they're what they're experiencing. Right. I thought it was interesting. Um, to to your point, Dan, it, when Divers he's in front of Rios and he's maybe it was the last last week's section. He introduces you know himself as a traitor and then you know T R A D E R traitor, and he talks about how he doesn't care who's in charge, and he brings up the point that it's a couple of fat guys in the back room that are skimming off the top of everybody else's hard work and okay so they're gonna get he calls it the rabbit punch which i thought was great (laughs) he said they're gonna get the rabbit punch yeah there'll be a few collateral deaths and that that sucks for those guys and those people but in the end there there's going to be a reestablishment of the aristocracy or the or the people in charge it's going to be a, a new group of you know four to five fat cats at the top they're going to pull the same you know, stuff to try to manage the population. And they're going to be dependent upon the traders, T R A D E R S Mm -hmm. (laughs) traders. And, um, 
So it's an interesting point that this whole kind of concept of uh, interconnected web of trade as the kind of the, not to pun, but the foundation of the foundation's strength is this kind of economic um, equilibrium that they have with their partner planets, if you will, mm. kind of transcends the government at a certain point, right? It's like, you know, if government fails the forces at work in that interconnected web of trade, they're going to drive out that government and pull, put in a government that supports their yeah. you know, continued success. I, I am curious that in one of the openings of one of the sections, it talks about how Emperor Cleon II was Cleo. the last of Cleo. the strong emperors, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that any of the generals that kind of come out of the system now are going to be vying for power like over and over and over again within the empire itself. Maybe, but remember that <clears throat> Rios is also noted as like the last strong emperor, uh, the last strong general. Last strong general yeah. And Cleon was referred to at, or Cleon the second was referred to as Rios's emperor. Mm-hmm. So okay. they both kind of are the, the end of an era, right? They define mm-hmm. the end of an era in, in partnership, if you will. Okay. That's yeah. how it's written in this section. I wonder, I wonder if Empire will just fractionalize, like just become smaller and smaller units yeah. of competing, a competing organization, right? It's managed decline. I think, I don't see how they can get, it can change, right? You know, that's what they're laying out in the last chapter is look, you know, the ways in which, like you're, you're talking about before, Jay, the, you know, all, all logical outcomes point to just, uh, you know, them, them trying to manage the internal power struggles of the empires. The only way they're really going to get out of this is to try to, um, you know, to try to, to restart the technological know-how, which exists outside of the empire. And if they can't do that, then all they have left is just fighting over the scraps. So when they put, put that initially in that, in that section where, you know, it seemed foreshadowing now looking back that the emperor was going to, you know, they said he, Think what is what was it that they said like, you know, it was unfortunate how you know the, the last section of 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 uh, his interaction went, implying that he's the one who killed Rios. But as a result, that's as good as it's going to get from the Empire from here on in. Because if there ever there was a guy like Rios who was strong and ambitious, um, he's going to end up being taken out by the powers to be just because they they can't have him being a threat. So there's. Any success is going to be tamped down by the government, and as a result, there's not going to be any success. It's just going to be, you know, fighting over the last two working ships, you know. Yeah, and I think right. the, I mean, this is like feudalism. When I think of feudalism, there's a reason that the feud is in the name of feudalism, because the center of or the the anchor of feudalism is the local feud it's the local lord who manages his you know peasant crop of people of human resources to manage the staked out land that he claims as his feud it's not the empire or the unification of feuds it's the you know that component so i think you're right peter like to think of it as gravity towards dispersion right and away from centralization as the, as the central um, infrastructure weakens, it's gonna, you know, people are going to start focusing then locally on their own planet, you know, even Cywenian or whatever, however we say it, uh, the revolution is mentioned, right? For Onambar's uh, and now Dusambar's planet that he confides in, endeavors or devers on their way out of Trantor that he's actually got a secret society that is, you know, centered on this belief that the Selden plan will prevail and they're all ready to rebel against the empire as soon as the empire, you know, is defeated by the foundation in the periphery. I, I guess a long way of saying, I think you're, you're onto something there, Peter, because it's like a reflection of this independence or nationalism, right? That, uh, um, Selden had warned of in his, one of his view in his uh, vault reveals. Right, he said, "Watch out yeah. for nationalism." I thought it was interesting we didn't get a vault reveal on this one. 
So it wasn't a major crisis, right? It's kind of like the, uh, was it the Traders was the last chapter in book one? The Helper that... Mallow didn't get one either, right? Uh, I, think, okay. I think Selden's dead, you know. It became pretty clear that he was going to work well, for a certain period of time. And then I don't know that he's going to come out anymore. You don't think we're going to get any more vault reveals? Interesting. Well, it seems clear that it doesn't. it's not necessary. So you might get one, but... Yeah, it's clearly not something that has to happen every time. There's a concept called spree de corps. Are you guys aware of that? I'm not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it. You can kind of figure it out. The it's, la- it's like the spirit. Yeah, the the spirit of the core. It's like the spirit of the group. And like the um, zeitgeist. No, zeitgeist is like looking at the effects. Spirit is like the internal driving like the target or the objective of the of the group. There's like a unified vision, right? A unified objective. And I okay. feel like with the foundation, there's more of like spree de corps, like there's unification across the people of the foundation towards the outcome of the Selden plan, regardless of the structure or the people who are in government at any given time, right? Um, so it's almost like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Dan, bottoms up, but it's almost like there's like this guiding spirit behind the the group that uh, transcends, you know, who in, is in office at any particular time, right? When they um, when they get the message, so Devers and uh, or Devers and, and Duke and Barr get the message, and and it's kind of funny. Devers is like trying to open it, and he's like, "Yeah, if this is a foundation message, nobody would be able to open it." Like, oh, and they're just mocking them. Oh, it's it's permanently written. Oh, if it was ours, it would disintegrate immediately. And like they're just like continuing the, the point about how you know shoddy the the empire technology is. Vastly <laughs> superior they, foundation yeah, exactly. technology. Is. Like, exactly. In a foundation capsule, the message would be oxidized to gas within the minute. With con- he said then with contempt. <laughs> the message <laughs> medium is permanent. <laughs> like, and then they give the message right, and it's like oh da da Broderick, you know we're gonna. Uh, we're going to weaken the enemy, whatever. And then Barr comes out and he says, the fool, the forsaken blasted fop. <laughs> Vop or fop? Fop. F-O-P. Fop. Forsaken blasted fop. And then he calls him Lick Spittle Courtier. Yeah, it's great. And then he and then he ends the paragraph by calling him a vacuum-headed peacock. <laughs> it's like a revolutionary war. Like slang, Duke of Bar, a, pop, a lick the earth with his disdain for uh, for Rios and Broderick. When was the last time sense. you called anyone a lick spittle? Was it ever? Lick spittle is the adjective. He calls him a courtier, but he's calling a lick spittle courtier. Oh man, oh, those are good. Duke Nukem, Duke of Nukem clearly doesn't suffer fools uh, very gladly. So, so basically, yeah, so we get to the end here and there's this whole philosophical tirade on, you know, the, the destiny of the empire to just collapse upon itself, you know, based on, you know, the, any ambition, any combination of ambition across the, you know, the government or its military uh, leaders is destined to be antagonistic to the empire primarily versus the foundation. So I think it'll be, you know, interesting to see where we go from here. Clearly this is the end of part one. So it's, you know, we've, we've come to the end of an arc and uh, I'm assuming that we will step off on a new arc in the beginning of part two. Um, And I did, you know, read, I did look to the right, Peter, and read the title of part two. Wait, you read ahead? He's, he's, he's reading the Hebrew version, so it's actually behind. <laughs> he read to the left? Um, so it's called The Mule, and I think, you know, from reading the backs of the books and just getting a sense of kind of what's happening, we're in for a little bit of an interesting go here. So it'll be interesting to know also why do they call him The Mule, right? Like, what? Yeah. what's that all about? Who is he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm wondering where this goes, right? Because it seems like the Empire is like a non-threat, right? But the book is named 
foundation and empire. So right. he could have just not had a better idea for a name. It seems like maybe there, maybe there's still a little bit of um, choppiness between these parts, right? As he's mm -hmm. writing them like one part at a time. So is it still empire in the second half? I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like this is pretty focused on the empire and the empire, you know, like with our two dudes here, Cleon and Rios being like the last vestige of hope for strength in the leadership of the empire. It doesn't sound like they're going to make it too far into part two. So it'll be interesting to see if it's actually still about the empire or not. Right. Cause it's called the mule. So I don't know. Is the mule part of the empire? Well, the, th the thing is, at the end of the last book, you're like, oh, well, there's, you know, the foreshadowing. Well, there's elements of the Empire that are still out there. And, you know, there's this, oh, maybe the Empire is like, we're going to re re regroup and they're going to gather their strength or whatever. And, like, the entire section of this one is basically just, like, people mocking how terrible their technology is and how broken down their stuff is and how crummy but, their technology you know, everything is working. And then they just get, they, fall, they fight amongst themselves and then they can't win the battle. And then they're done. It's like, it seems like a pretty, if it's going to be their last stand, it's a pretty shambolic last stand as far as, uh, you know, what you thought maybe initially when the book started. Which I, I'm okay with. I'm okay with like their last stand being, you know, pathetic or what have you. It's just kind of a, it's a big change from, you know, the, the threat that was the capturing of an Empire starship, you know, um, on Anacreon, right? When the Anacreonians in, in book one got an empire ship like into their hands, it was a potentially like, you know, it upset the balance of power. It was, it was a bad thing. Right. And then that was part of when foundation had to make up their pseudoscience religion. Right. They had to, they had to make Scientology up or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Terminology. Terminology. <laughs> Terminology. <laughs> I'm a terminologist myself. So. Uh, is it a couple hundred years now? Two. It's 200, 200. years. Yeah. So 200 things about really So yeah, again, when we do, like when we have these moments, right? I've, we've read like one book, but 200 years. And let's think of like what was happening on earth 200 years ago. People were still industrial revolution pooping basically. in holes in their backyard. Okay, right. To be fair, still do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Call it a Sunday night. What? What? what you have a new option for me? <laughs> I'm you just saying, so there was space. no running water. Electricity hadn't been discovered slash invented yet. Um, yeah. Like we were still navigating the seas using wind Sex power, sense. right? Um, not Astral by substance. turning it into electricity, right? And, uh, and it was a, like agricultural world, right? The industrial revolution was, you know, underway and, you know, becoming, you know, yeah, a setup for the 20th century where things really blossomed out of control. But it, it like, it was a totally different world 200 years ago. Like that's not, that that's a long time to give the foundation a chance to enhance yeah. their capabilities. Mm -hmm. And it's also unfathomable for me that in that same period of time, nobody has emerged on the side of the empire that can figure out how to turn all those, you know, resources into something productive or, you know, have the ambition to, to rebuild. Well, they just explained it that, if they if that person ever came around, they would get off before they could ever actually They'd get be crushed by the yeah yeah the emperor would be like that guy, you know. <laughs> if he if he if he was part of the aristocracy, right? If he subscribed to the system, right? Yes, but mm -hmm. what about all these rogue planets out there, like? There's nobody on a on a planet in the middle of nowhere that nobody remembers that has lost, you know, their spot on the map or whatever. Nobody comes to visit anymore. They haven't developed their own, you know, capabilities locally. They're just Places picking roots from Texas. the forest, you know. I guess. <laughs> in theory, I mean, 
yeah, maybe like you'd have some revolutionary figure, but there are quadrillions. All study, all, it's been established. All he's going to do is study the history of what was done before. So, yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't have access like, to books, right? Yeah. I guess you'd think, but I mean, I guess archetypally, that's that's the point. Is that you know it it kind of has to go this way. Um, anybody who, I think that's the point they were trying to make at the end of the section that look, you know, this is why it is, it's why, why are they falling so precipitously? And it's like, well, think about it, you know, any other options that they have, anybody who's any good is either going to get co-opted or knocked out. And then he's going to spend all his time, you know, enforcing his fiefdom rather than, you know, improving anything. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, good times. I guess you can't stop the fall, right? Selden said so. So if uh, if there, that if that was reversed, reversed, it would undermine the whole premise of the uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, of the original. Dead hand. Did Selden say three hundred? A thousand. A thousand. Well, no, he said it would be like many thousands. It would be thirty, like thirty thousand. Hundred, I thought. Down to one thousand. I thought it was 1,000 that, that it was going to be. So you're basically 20% of the way in. Right. I guess, depending on when it starts, does it start from today or does it start from when the Empire actually falls? I don't know. Jay, to but, your point about 200 years, we didn't have trains in this country until like 1836. Yeah. 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 Well, and that was steam, right? It was like yeah, steam a power. wood-fired yeah. steam piston that mm -hmm. powered right. those things, right? And then uh, it's um, it's fun. I'm reading the tripod series with my my oldest, right? And at one point they get on a barge to go up river, and they're trying to figure out how they make the barge go up river. And it's donkeys that are inside the barge that like walk on these treadmills that drive the <laughs> the, the pedals, like the, the paddles of the boat. And I was like, yeah, donkeys I guess these are mules. They're mules, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think they're mules. Giant hamsters. They're giant hamsters. <laughs> Masters of Coves, that bay. So. All right. Well, what do we think is going to happen, guys? Do we have any, I think, any predictions for next week? I think it has something to do with the mule. Okay. <laughs> really going out there. <laughs> going out the live there. Or I, I foresee some type of four-legged creature. <laughs> or do metaphorically. you see a man who acts as a four-legged creature? I see. Uh, Either literally see or figuratively. Jones or Mallow pinning the tail on that mule. And and that's no, I, I think that it's gonna be bad news for the Empire. And you know, it'd be one question of what that means for you know the foundation. Did that make them the Empire? Since the Empire falls, does the foundation become the Empire? Yeah, well, they start yeah. taking on bad traits, you know. <clears throat> they've they've sort of operated as a counterbalance to the fall of the empire with all their work sort of being in, in reference to the empire. What does it mean when, you know, it's like you're, if you're, if you're trying to climb the mountaintop and, and to beat the champion and then you beat the champion, you know, then what, you know, how does then it you go get from a there? target on your back? Yeah. Either somebody comes for you or how do you stay motivated or what do you do? I think, you know, my thought is that, you know, it'll be something in that realm um, about how the foundation reacts to sort of, you know, the continue, continue fall of the empire. I'm wondering if we're going to see a future clash between stars End and the foundation. Well, there is the, the third book of the series called second foundation. Wait, <laughs> right ahead. <laughs> so, you know, I read the, yeah. So I read the title, the cover of the third book, yes. And um, so I'm just going to read it's from the lists. back page of the book. It says, after we get through the whole Empire thing, which is a larger paragraph, it says, but not even Harry Selden could have predicted the birth of the extraordinary creature called the Mule, a mutant intelligence with a power greater than a dozen battle fleets a power that can turn the strongest willed human into an obedient slave. So it's like the spice. Mm. All right. So that brings us to the end of part one. Uh, we have seen the empire 
collapse back upon itself. The foundation remains uh, getting ready, I guess, for their next uh, crisis. We have a little bit of a indication that it has something to do with a mutant intelligence called the mule. And we are looking forward to digging in and talking again next week on the next five chapters of the book. I'm excited to see where this goes. Like a little exactly. mind control to make things a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, where the foundation goes next. And uh, just now, now that their great foe is sort of on its way out the door, is the next, what's the next foe? How does it look? What's, what are they fighting against? Um, I guess we'll find out soon. Well, yeah, and, and also I'm kind of interested to see what this, you know, in on the back cover, it's only a sentence, but it, they indicate that not even Harry Seldon could have expected this mutant. And so I'm kind of interested to see what does that really mean? Is it just hype and he really did expect it or could he really not have expected it and it's going to totally blow up the whole Seldon plan? and uh, the course of history for going into the future. So I wonder if this is some kind of metaphor for television. Yeah. It's a 24 hour news network. That's what they, that's what they create. (laughs) (laughs) Headline news. The mule is called Facebook. Yeah. It's called TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Sweet, sweet dopamine hits. And algorithms. Psychohistorical algorithms <laughs> mess with your emotions and your in your decision making, and are highly effective. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, all I'm right. Guys. Yeah, I think it'll be good. So, thank you all for listening in, and we will see you again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. Bye bye. All right, I'm out of here.